Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joel Craft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Thursday evening where we continue our reflections into the richness of the gospel that we will hear on Sunday. And of course, this Sunday is the 11th Sunday of Ordinary Time, which means we are back into that routine of what is ordinary. And what greater gospel to reflect upon, the gospel that has us talking about the parable of the mustard seed to better understand how to live out ordinary life. So uh, certainly the church in her wisdom is setting us on the path towards holiness. Uh, And, you know, it's interesting, we are back in the gospel of Mark, and it's just not the parable of the mustard seed, but also that parable that concerns uh, the grain and the harvest an agricultural parable only found in the Gospel of Mark. And in this parable, what we will discover is how Jesus compares the mystery of natural organic growth to the expansion of the kingdom of God, and that the kingdom of God will visibly mature like grain, but the spiritual forces behind it will remain invisible. And of course, in the parable, the mustard seed, we have before us an opportunity to reflect critically upon the difference between the smallest seed and the greatest shrub, and how this depicts how Christ's kingdom here on earth started with a small band of disciples and has gradually grown into a worldwide universal church. So this is what is before us this evening. This will also provide us the opportunity to give commentary to the new evangelization, because it is uh, with the parable of the mustard seed that Benedict XVI, then Cardinal Ratzinger in 2000, reflected upon the importance of the mustard seed and the parable of the mustard seed when better understanding this call we have before us to evangelize. So with that, let us just jump right into the gospel. If you have your Bibles out there, we are in chapter 4 of Mark, verses uh, 26 to 34. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed upon the ground, and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He knows not how. The earth produces of itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown upon the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs, and puts forth large branches, so that the birds of the year can make nests in its shade." Okay, so before we engage this passage, I just want to make a few points correlating the Old and New Testament. You know, this um, 
language of becoming a tree, as I noted off the top, certainly speaks to the contrast in size between the seed and the mature shrub, where the mature shrub can reach nearly 10 feet in height. So Jesus likewise sows the kingdom in a small band of disciples, expecting it to grow into worldwide church. Now there's something else here. Similar metaphors to these are used in the Old Testament representing great empires as great trees. If you were to go to uh, the prophet Ezekiel chapter 31 verses 1 to 13, the prophet Daniel chapter 4 verse 12, we see this, including the kingdom of Israel. If you were to go to Ezekiel 17, in these instances, birds, we had the language of birds, birds represent Gentile nations, okay? So our Lord's parable points to the spread of the gospel and acceptance of Gentiles into the church. Now to the listeners of our Lord in the first century, they would have been well in tuned to this truth. So certainly very relevant. Now as it relates to how we are to understand the word parable. I think it's important to get into the original text here. When we talk about a parable, we are talking about a spoken or literary comparison between two things for illustration. So what a parable does for us, my friends, it affords us the opportunity to compare and to contrast, and it does so by way of the image, huh? The actual word itself Uh, that I read for you this evening, can be found up to 48 times in the Synoptic Gospels for short stories that use these familiar images and word pictures to illustrate a truth or challenge a common outlook on life and religion. The term here in the Greek parabole frequently translates the Hebrew word mishal, a term for literary forms in the Old Testament such as proverbs, uh, riddles, Allegories, again, what is an allegory? An allegory is the description of one thing under the image of another, huh? Now, Jesus uses parables in the New Testament for two purposes, and I believe this to be so important. To first reveal, and at the same time, to conceal divine mysteries. So, on one hand, parables invite the humble to reach behind the images and lay hold of God's truth. And they do this by sketching out earthly scenarios that reveal heavenly mysteries. And on the other hand, they have this way of obstructing the proud and concealing the divine mystery from those who are unworthy. So, Parables have this second, albeit negative, function and are often spoken as judgments on the faithless. So in the end, Jesus speaks in parables for the benefit of the faithful and the judgment of the unbeliever. So parables, in many ways for our Lord, becomes a way to evangelize the imagination, drawing them deeper into the mystery of the inner life of God. Remember what the word mystery means. Mysterion, the inexhaustible reality. The Greek verb there to mysterion is mio, to initiate one into the mystery of God in and through a religious experience, in and through a religious encounter. What Jesus wants to do with these parables is have us thinking more critically about the way we think about the world 
and how it allows us to better understand the faith so that so that we might have a more intimate personal encounter with God. Okay, that being said, I was once again reading some Cardinal Schoenborn, and I wanted to draw from him a little bit as we reflect into the parable of the mustard seed. And he poses some questions that I think are, are very important for us. Simple questions, but certainly are necessary. First, he says, you know, how does God's kingdom grow? Can you see it, measure it, reckon it up, or predict it? Okay, so Jesus is constantly talking about God's kingdom and about its growth, and he does so in parables, okay? Using pictures from the everyday life of those times with that principle of the new evangelization ever before us, right? Meeting people where they're at. Our Lord uses pictures from the everyday life of his time, experiences everyone might have. And yet, he always manages to break apart the obvious picture. This is what makes it so alluring, finding the nuance, if you will. He shows that daily life is not mundane, that everything can become something at which to marvel. Is that not an important word for us, my friends? To marvel, marvel. For nothing is obvious to someone who has not forgotten how to what? Marvel at things. I mean, what is more normal than seed being sown and then the seed lying in the ground? Day and night, whether the sower is thinking about it or not, the seed grows and grows. And this is what our Lord wants us to see. It's interesting. The Greek rendering of the English translation of itself actually translates as automatically. I think that's stronger, huh? So what's going on here? Well, the earth brings forth fruit literally of its own volition. It is going to happen. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. And Jesus adds that what? The man knows not how. No one knows. No one knows. What an important phrase for us today in 2015. My friends, scientists have learned a great deal. Our knowledge has grown tremendously. Nowadays, we are able to know incomparably more than our forefathers did. But what always amazes me, and Cardinal Schoenborn draws this out, is the strange fact that our contemporaries are not more struck with wonder than our forefathers. For more knowledge ought to lead, not to greater conceit, but to what? A greater wonder. At least, this is how it should be. We are a culture that is so preoccupied with advancing based upon how we progress technologically that we have forgotten we can only progress in light of God. Human potential isn't realized in things, but in Jesus Christ. John Paul II would often say we should stop and just wonder and just marvel at creation. And if we would do that, the knowledge we've gained would draw us into a deeper understanding with God as creator, yes, but a deeper relationship with God as father. You see, the more we know about nature, about life and the way it functions, the more we ought to marvel at the one who created it. 
who created it, my friends, all in such an inconceivably marvelous way, who ordered it, who put it all together and coordinated each thing with everything else. My dear friends, how is it that the more we advance, the more we come to know, the more information we accumulate, the less faith we have? What have we said about the intellect? Satan has supreme intellect, but does he have wisdom? No, because wisdom is taking knowledge gained and inserting it into the deeper truth of faith. It should not be so that we have less faith with more knowledge, but it is. And so it is. We must take up the task of evangelizing and catechizing in light of this. My dear friends, the more we know, the more improbable it becomes that all that represents nothing but the product of a mere game of chance. Now, all that being said, today's two parables about seeds and the way they grow are not concerned with natural science. Our wonder at the marvels of nature is meant to lead us to even greater wonder at the marvels of God's realm, the supernatural realm. The kingdom of God is what? Growing. You know not how. We human beings contribute to this as the sower does when he sows the seed. Yet he has neither made the seed himself, nor does he produce the automatic growth. Nature and the one who made nature takes care of that. So it is with the kingdom of God. Parents can sow the seed of faith in their children's hearts. They can encourage its growth, but they cannot manufacture their children's faith. God remains the one who gives grace and faith. He sends growth as his gift to let the fruit of his action ripen. My dear friends, the best we can do is cooperate in his grace. Remember, co comes from the Latin cum, with, operate, operatio. We are operating with not something, but someone. And that someone is the person of Jesus Christ and certainly the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when we cooperate in God's grace, we share in the divine nature of God. And so the best we can do is, well, the best we can do. At some point, we have to give it to God. We have to entrust it to God. What does Jesus say? Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and the rest will be given to you besides. We pray for so many things, and in all the time we devote to praying for so many things, we neglect the very thing we need to be present to, which is serving those we are called to serve. Am I saying don't pray? Well, of course not. If you are a faithful listener, you know I talk about prayer all the time. But at some point, we have to let go and allow God to do what He does best, which is take care of us. Huh? Seek the kingdom of God and his holiness, and the rest will be given to you besides. What is he saying? Entrust to God all of those desires and wants that you pray for, and in doing so, focus on the matters before you, and allow God to do what he does best. I mean, how do things look as far as concerns the growth of the kingdom of God? Do we not have, rather, a lack of growth or even a negative growth in matters of faith. This, my friends, is something to ponder when it comes to how the kingdom of God expands. Are we getting in the way of God, 
or are we allowing God to work by sharing in the manifestation of the kingdom of God? No matter what happens, what does God say? I will be with you always. Let us share in the expansion of the kingdom of God, mindful that God remains the sovereign Lord of all growth, of every harvest. I mean, if you were to look into history, all you have to do is to take one figure, one saint, one blessed, and find where they were born, take notes of their life, and you will quickly discover what? That every great saint came from humble origins, came from humble beginnings. Consider the most recent canonized St. John Paul II, huh? <laughs> Born in this little Polish town in Wadowice near Krakow. In 1920, in the parish church there, a child was baptized and his name was what? Carol. A seed was sown as small as a mustard seed. And by the way, to translate as small as is to understand that it's the tiniest of the tiny mustard seed. If you ever put a number of mustard seeds in your hand, many would slip through your fingers. They are so small, tiny they are. You see, St. John Paul II was born in this little town, unknown to many, like the mustard seed itself. Carol died on April 2nd, 2005, as Pope John Paul II. And of course, we know him now as St. John Paul II. My dear friends, a giant tree grew up from a tiny mustard seed of faith. And staying with the parable, many were able to nest in its branches. He, above all others, freed the world from communism and gave courage and hope to so many people. And the kingdom of God has grown. Plug in any saint, plug in any blessed, plug in any great figure, and you will have a similar story of greatness coming from littleness. And many people find themselves nesting in that greatness. And I add here more than just a footnote. If you are a parent out there, this ought to convict you by the grace of God to raise your children in the virtues of truthfulness, gratitude, faith, hope, and love that they might come to see and appreciate the wonder and beauty that is God and how each and every one of us have been entrusted, that word again, with a vocation that ought to encourage others to what? Wonder and marvel. What a vocation we have as parents, huh? So, with that, to speak of greatness is indeed to speak of the importance of the new evangelization. And I wanted to read a little bit from Ratzinger's address on the new evangelization because, well, A, it's just so beautiful, and B, he talks about the mustard seed, huh? So, this is Benedict XVI reflecting into the structure and method for the new evangelization. He says this, before speaking about the fundamental contents of new evangelization, I would like to say a few words about its structure and on the correct method. 
The church always evangelizes and has never interrupted the path of evangelization. She celebrates the Eucharistic mystery every day, administers the sacraments, proclaims the word of life, the word of God, and commits herself to the cause of justice and charity. And this evangelization bears fruit. It gives light and joy. It gives the path of life to many people. Many others live, often unknowingly, of the light and the warmth that radiate from this permanent evangelization. However, we can see a progressive process of de-Christianization. Well, he's talking 15 years ago. (laughs) He goes on. And a loss of the essential human values, which is worrisome. A large part of today's humanity does not find the gospel in the permanent evangelization of the church. That is to say, the convincing response to the question, how to live. This is why we are searching for, along with permanent and uninterrupted and never-to-be-interrupted evangelization, a new evangelization, capable of being heard by that world that does not find access to classic evangelization. Everyone, he says, needs the gospel. The gospel is destined to all and not only to a specific circle, and this is why we are obliged to look for new ways of bringing the gospel to all. And he says this now as it relates to the mustard seed. For the kingdom of God, as well as for evangelization, the instrument and vehicle of the kingdom of God, the parable of the grain of mustard seed is always valid. And listen to what he says. The kingdom of God always starts anew under this sign. New evangelization cannot mean immediately attracting the large masses that have distanced themselves from the church by using new and more refined methods. No, this is not what new evangelization promises. New evangelization means never being satisfied with the fact that from the grain of mustard seed, the great tree of the universal church grew never thinking that the fact that different birds may find place among its branches can suffice. Rather, he says, it means to dare, once again and with the humility of the small grain, to leave up to God the when and how it will grow. Did you hear that? My friends, what Benedict XVI is saying here as Cardinal Ratzinger is we need to enter into that foundational virtue, the virtue of all virtues, humility, and to trust in God that whatever He is calling us to do, we are simply sharing in His great mission of planting seeds. And we don't need to see its growth. We don't need to be patted on the shoulder. We just need to trust in God. He goes on, large things always begin from the small seed, and the mass movements are always passing, fleeting. What does sacred scripture say? The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples, but it was because the Lord loved you. Benedict 16 says, God says this to the people of Israel in the Old Testament and thus expresses the fundamental paradox of the history of salvation. Certainly, God does not count in large numbers. Exterior power is not the sign of his presence. Most of our Lord's parables indicate this structure of divine intervention 
and thus answered the disciples' worries, who were expecting other kinds of success and signs from the Messiah, successes of the kind offered by Satan to the Lord. All these, the kingdom of the world, I will give you. Of course, at the end of his life, Paul believed that he had proclaimed the gospel to the very ends of the earth, but the Christians were small communities dispersed throughout the world, insignificant according to secular criteria. In reality, they were the leaven that penetrates the meal from within, and they carried within themselves the future of the world. He closes, an old proverb says, success is not one of the names of God. The new evangelization must surrender to the mystery of the grain of mustard seed and not be so pretentious as to believe to immediately produce a large tree. We either live too much in the security of the already existing large tree or in the impatience of having a greater, more vital tree. Instead, we must accept the mystery that the church is at the same time a large tree and a very small grain. Amen. What a beautiful reflection to remind us that what we find in the littleness of our day, in the concreteness and particularity of each and every moment, whether it is changing a diaper, making lunch, working at our computer, giving a presentation before a large group of people, these are all tasks that God asks we give to Him, that He might endow them with a grace and authority that would expand the kingdom of God. But it will only expand to the extent that we approach whatever it is that we are doing, changing a diaper, making lunch, giving a presentation with humility. You see, my friends, today's gospel that kickstarts this new series of Sundays in Ordinary Time is a gentle reminder if not a forceful reminder, that we have been given a mission. A mission to evangelize and catechize, yes, but to first pray for an increase in the virtue of humility, that within the mundane, what we do, while it started with all of the small and little tasks, grows to be something big. And as it grows to be something big, it continues to root itself in what is little. And I should also include in this what is potent. Huh? It's to remember the mustard seed is a spice in many dishes. Why? Because the potency within the mustard seed, there's a kick to it. huh? It adds flavor. So the mustard seed, while it's all about being little, it's also how the littleness adds spice to what we do. And so ultimately, it's all about the humble beginnings, but also how in humility we give life to what we do. There's a certain burst of energy that comes from the virtue of humility. This is the wonder of this parable, a parable that applies to us in our everyday life and a parable that certainly applies to the universal church. We must die to self, my friends, die to our needs, die to our wants, that we may gain the kingdom of heaven in all that we do. Amen. Let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, 
as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.